All right, way to get the time change right. Good job. So I think in about uh, 45 minutes, we might see some familiar faces looking a little bit confused. Um, But anyway, I'm I'm so glad you're here. You know, we're coming out of uh, winter now, I think, with the time change, and we've hopefully just had our last snowstorm of the year. You never know. (laughs) Man, a lot of shaking the heads. Got to have faith, people. This is a church. But... um, it reminded me, the last snowstorm, of, of the long time that I lived in Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago, you probably know that it gets cold there, right? And there's a lot of snow. And, one of, and some of my favorite memories about the snow in Chicago uh, connect, of course, to food. So um, I remember being, you know, and you can relate to this no matter where you live, where you grew up, if you've ever had snow and you've been out shoveling your driveway or sidewalk, or maybe you've just been out playing football in the snow, or you've just been out, and for some reason, uh, your mom or a friend or significant other, you know, as you're wrapping up or while you're still in the middle of whatever chore you're doing outside, comes outside with a nice, warm cup of cocoa. Doesn't that feel so good? It's chocolatey and creamy and warm, sort of warms your body warms your heart, you know. And so a few years ago, like 20 years ago or so, I had this brilliant idea. I thought, well, here I am living in Chicago. I'm a student on this campus. People are getting up early. They're going to their classes. They're freezing. It's like 15 degrees out there. There's snow everywhere. Wouldn't it just be so great if there was someone who could offer a free cup of hot cocoa just to start your day off on the right note? Doesn't that sound good? Wouldn't you like to be walking to work or walking to whatever you're walking to, and someone hands you a free cup of hot cocoa. Now imagine, oh, I don't know, you're at 30th Street Station, or, or you're at the end of the block waiting for the trolley, and some stranger comes up to you with a cup of hot cocoa. How would you react? Well, what I was surprised to find out was that nobody, nobody wanted a cup of hot cocoa on a cold Chicago morning. Zero. Like, I was begging people. I had this giant like square thermos full of hot cocoa. And I got one of three responses. One response was very skeptical, like, why are you doing this? What's the catch? Like, what do I have to do? Are you going to give me this cocoa? What for? Like, what's the next, waiting for the next shoe to drop? The other was very cynical. So what's wrong with this cocoa? (laughs) Is there something in it? And the third was just total indifference. I'm putting my head down. I've got to get to class. I don't have time for you. I don't want it. Why are you slowing me down? Don't bother me, right? And so the reason I mention this is because for the past three weeks, we've been examining what the Bible has to say about cities and city life. And we've discovered, I think, over those past three days that God really has a special place in his heart for cities. He loves them. That God wants everyone to invest in the cities around them. And that he's interested in bringing this thing called shalom to cities, uh, which is economic, prosperity, family that are doing well, healthcare, housing, relationships, just flourishing in all those areas of life. And we call this flourishing the shalom and experience of the kingdom of God. And the idea that we've been exploring is that Jesus brought the kingdom of God, broke it into this world that we live in, and invites us to join him in the process of helping that grow and spread throughout the whole world. So hopefully at this point, you are really interested in investing in Philadelphia and excited for what God could do at any moment, and you're ready to go out and do it, right? 
You know, oh, we've been talking about, well, how can we do this? We're, we're looking for the kingdom of God. Let's go out and look for it and partner with God and what he's doing, the good things that are happening in our city. Let's invest in those. But what if, like my tasty hot cocoa, people, the people and the systems around you really aren't interested in what you have to offer? It doesn't even matter if you have the best hot cocoa in the whole world if nobody, nobody wants to drink it. And I think actually when you read the stories of Jesus in the Bible, you see him running up against this. And I want to be straight, like it's not the whole picture at all. There were a lot of people interested in Jesus. And if you watch and read the stories of his life, he had crowds gathering around him. But there was a whole lot of people who are just completely indifferent. And the truth is that Jesus had some baggage that he was carrying around. If you remember, and if you don't know, Jesus was touted as the Messiah. And people were talking about him as a Messiah. But what we don't always realize is in that day and age, Jesus wasn't the only one who had been touted as a Messiah. In fact, in 4 BCE, so just before uh, Jesus was born, there were at least three different men who claimed to be the king when King Herod died. Then in 6 CE, uh, just after Jesus' birth, a man named Judah tried to do the same thing. And all of those would-be messiahs came to a nasty, bitter end, right? So it makes sense for a lot of people to be a little skeptical about this new messiah that people are talking about, like messiah, yeah, right. Or maybe even a little cynical, like what game is this guy up to? Or just simply disinterested. Ah, another Messiah, ho-hum. And I think if we're honest, a lot of us, I think, are in a similar situation. Not necessarily that we see ourselves as the Messiah and no one's interested, but basically, as we set out to invest in Philadelphia to help make our great city even better, we're going out in the hope that God himself is ready to break into the difficult situations that our neighborhoods and our schools and our workplaces face. And we're looking to partner with him in this thing called the kingdom of God. And many folks maybe just are indifferent to things that, or people that are associated with God and what they have to offer. They're turned off. You know, 10 years ago, I first reported about what then was a new study that had been released in a book called Unchristian, and it was like what everybody was talking about in certain circles, uh, where these sociologists surveyed people who don't consider themselves to be followers of Jesus to get their take on those who do. And the question they asked was, please indicate if you think each of these phrases describes present-day Christianity. And they had a list of very positive phrases and very negative. And the three highest response were anti-gay, 91% of people said that, who don't go to church, judgmental, 87%, hypocritical, 85%. Those are the big three winners. Now, let me just ask you, 10 years later, do you think that is more or less true today than it was then? And just think about things that you know that have happened in the last 10 years. You think they'd make people who don't go to church more likely to want to engage with Christianity or less likely? That's a lot of baggage. 
Nine out of ten people have a negative first impression of Christianity. Hmm. So it seems that maybe, as a community of faith, we have extra baggage sometimes when we're interested in investing in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in the systems of Philadelphia. And like with Jesus, this connotation of Messiah as a community of faith, or the connotation rather of religious or even Christian, sometimes lends itself to road trust, to lessen trust right off the bat. So what should we do? How can we get past indifference and even baggage so that we can really dig in and help Philly become all that it can be? Well, I want to take a look today at a passage where Jesus gives instructions to his followers, I think, to help them do just that. This is a passage from Luke 10, um, the first nine verses. And in this passage, what we see is Jesus sending out his followers to engage with people who aren't coming to his big meetings. And this is what it says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for workers deserve their wages. And do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. All right. Now, I think this is, it's really can be kind of helpful to get the context of this passage. So Jesus has recently finished uh, one of his largest meetings. So it was 5,000 men plus their families uh, have recently come to hear him preach. And he does this really amazing miracle by feeding all of them by multiplying five loaves and two fish. Great story. You've probably heard it or heard of it. But after this, even after the large crowds have come to hear and see him, he looks around and realizes that there are so many people who aren't coming to the large meetings or to the synagogues when he (laughs) preaches that are disinterested or turned off. But at the same time, Jesus knows he has something to offer them in the kingdom of God that will really empower, enhance, and bring a new experience of life to them. Shalom. And he thinks, I think, they would be very interested even if they're disinterested off the bat. So he tells them the harvest is plentiful. There's lots more people out there who could benefit, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And this is how we see Jesus sends them out. So let me ask you, is there a situation in your life, a system in the city, a problem on your block, some dysfunction on your floor, That could use some shalom. Well, then this passage is for you. Let's look what he says. Jesus says, uh, first, um, these are Jesus' instructions for how to make a difference in an indifferent world. First, real simple, he says, go. Verse 3, go. And this makes a lot of sense. This is super practical. It seems to me that if people aren't interested in your investment or input, then it wouldn't make much sense to invite them to come to you. 
So notice Jesus doesn't set up a plan for an even bigger event than the ones he's already been a part of. And the people that are interested are already coming to those. Instead, he encourages his followers to get out of their comfort zones, to get off of their familiar turf and go where people live and work. I think the thought here is if you want to see some system in Philadelphia really improve, if that's the place that is a place that could use some of the inbreaking of God's really good stuff, to put it simply, where is that going to happen? Now, I don't know specifically, but I'm betting it's probably at that parent-teacher meeting, in that board meeting, in that university setting. I don't know, but there. If you're interested in fair housing, maybe it's among the community organizations that already exist or block associations. Maybe it's sitting with and getting to know people. I don't know, but I think it's there. You know, people you know who seem to be struggling with depression. It's getting out of your comfort zone, getting on their turf, the pub they hang out in, the show that they want to see, the thing they like to do. I don't know what it is, but it's there. Disinterested people or systems aren't going to come to your event. They're not interested in how you want to save the world. It seems like Jesus is saying you have to go and be a part of their world. The second thing, learn. Notice that Jesus gives his followers some really interesting guidelines for their journey. They're not super practical. So in verse 3, it says, Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. The head of the house loves peace. Your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will return to you. Stay there. Eating and drinking whatever they give you for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. So it looks like Jesus is giving his disciples all sorts of instructions that will take them out of the places of power and the new relationships they're forming. You see that? So strategically, his strategy is go and be meek. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Jesus sends out people, but not in an overpowering or dominating sort of way. And those with the hope of the kingdom go out in a meek way. They're not taking back the city. They go out without any plans to manipulate in any way. They're like sheep. Relationally, in verse 5, it says, when you enter a house, first say peace to the house. The head of the house loves peace. Your peace will rest on that house. So Jesus here is sending out his followers and encourages them to try and make friends. This is not a dominant position. It's a position that actually invites rejection. You see here, if if the head of the house loves peace, if they do not reject you, materially, like practical stuff, like money and food and things like that, it says do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. In other words, you're going to be dependent on other people. So you aren't going to be the people showing up with all the resources or all the answers. You're going to be the people showing up asking for help. You you aren't going to be serving. You're going to be served. Now this, I think, is a bold way to place his followers in the position of being humble. It's like Jesus saying, if you want to make a difference somewhere, don't come to give 
come to receive. Humble yourself and honor your hosts. Now think about that. Think of all the ways you might be able to go and invest in the city and all the organizations that are doing great things you might be able to help with. How should you show up? Culturally, verse 7 says, stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you. Whatever they put before you, eat it. Honor the culture of the place that you hope to impact. Honor the good things that are already happening. Understand the place that you are hoping to invest in is rich with vibrant culture and great things already. Wherever you are, there is so much good. Find it, experience it, honor it. Patiently, do not move around from house to house. If we want to make a difference somewhere, if you want to make a difference in some system or someone's life, you probably are not going to do it in a day. Don't move around. Stay put. Be patient. Things don't work in your time frame, usually. So Jesus does what seems to me to be a very curious thing. He sends out his followers in a way that deliberately, on purpose, takes them out of the places of power in the relationships they're forming, relationally, materially, culturally, and has them stay in that place patiently. You know, I think he does this because he's sending out his followers in a way that undercuts our natural impulses towards a big phrase called cultural imperialism. By that, I just mean imposing your sense or our sense of what ought to be on others consciously or unconsciously, whether you realize you're doing it or not. It's coming to the parent-teacher meetings, the block meeting, the boardroom, believing you have the answers. And one problem with this is if, if we know it all, if our approach, our message, our belief is it, then you have absolutely nothing to learn. And even if what you believe is good and true and wonderful, you probably don't know how it fits in the context you're moving into or the situation you find in front of you. You have something to learn. And Jesus doesn't want his followers to impose on disinterested people, to force them to drink the cocoa. Even though, let's face it, that cocoa was delicious. Drink my cocoa, darn it! That's the only thing I remember from this whole sermon. <laughs> he wants his followers to be humble learners so that when they do offer input, it's in a truly helpful and loving way. You know, I told this story 10 years ago <laughs> when this came out, but I think it, it still rings true. I, when I was in seminary, I had a friend uh, share with the whole class a story about uh, a group that I think that he was a part of, that uh, they were in a new church in a new part of the city, and they just were getting their footing, 
And a group came in to sort of help them get going from somewhere else and didn't really know much about the neighborhood and just saw a lot of trash on the ground and thought, oh, we know what this neighborhood needs, just to be cleaned up. So they organized a group of people, spending like a Saturday morning cleaning up all the trash. Uh, and the people of the block got really upset. Turns out it was actually an insult. Because the people on the block weren't the ones making the mess. And they actually had a system in place to handle it themselves and clean it up themselves. And that really the people were making the mess were people who were going to the corner store and then walking through the neighborhood and dropping the trash. And the folks who cleaned up the block had a good thing to offer. They had manpower to make a difference, to clean the streets. But they imposed it in a way that was insulting. They hadn't got to know the people on the block around them. They hadn't learned the culture of the things that were happening. But what if we're willing to be humble and less powerful and accept that position and learn from people? In whatever situation we want to see the kingdom of God come into so that we can join in with what God's actually doing in a respectful, loving, and powerful way. The next thing that Jesus does is actually serve. So Jesus doesn't say, don't serve people. It's just that's not the starting point, particularly for people who aren't interested in your hot cocoa. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them dot, dot, dot. Now that you really understand what's going on on your block, in the boardroom, in your dormitory, where the real hurts are, not where you expected them to be, you can take what I've taught you and bring real healing, renewal, shalom, the kingdom of God. How you do what you do is as important as what you do. And Jesus had given his followers a real, unique, and special message. But it had to be contextualized or it had to be made to fit where they lived, where they worked, the communities they were a part of to bring healing. It's okay and really good to really believe something strongly. But a great message delivered in the wrong way can tear down peace instead of building it up. And when you really know what's going on, you'll be able to see what God's doing, where the kingdom is coming, and then you can jump in, and you can serve along with what God's actually up to. And this is what Jesus did. The whole story of Jesus is a story of incarnation. That's God becoming a human being. God giving up a position of power and experiencing and learning firsthand what it meant to live a truly human existence. He did this. So Jesus is sending out his followers to do the thing that he is doing in that same moment. Coming into the world as a helpless, defenseless child completely dependent on his parents. That's like the craziest, can't really wrap your head around it type of way to do what he's telling his followers to do as they enter new towns.
And as a result, it's a way we can get to know Jesus better, too, by trying to follow his example. Fourth, tell. Verse 9 says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. So I think what's important to notice here is that after people or organizations have experienced something real, some type of actual healing, a funny thing happens. If they were disinterested, they often become very interested. Not always. But now they have a reason to listen to what you have to say because you have a real connection and you've really loved them or really blessed their organization or whatever it is. And they or their organization is better for having known you. Now's the time to explain the kingdom of God. Now that it's invited instead of imposed. Now's the time to explain God wants to knit everything back together the way things are supposed to be. Relationships, systems, families, economies, cities. And he's gone to great lengths to see that happen by sending his son, Jesus, not just to preach, but to bring the power of this future perfected age into the present age. And we can join in that mission. This is the hope of Jesus, that we can experience this and offer it to others, that this city can be even better, that it can flourish. And he's committed to it, and he proved it by even going to the cross. And it's real. His resurrected body is the first evidence, and the power released there is what you just experienced as I did my best to serve you. And you experience real healing. I think that's, that's so much better than starting there. The message is the same. It's the same cocoa. And lastly, team. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place he was about to go. And I think a lot of you, as I've been speaking, have been picturing how this might look in your life. And you've been imagining yourself in all types of situations and scenarios. But let me just point out that as we close, that hopefully you'll never be alone as you visualize how you can invest in the city. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus sent them out two by two. You're not in this, nor should you be, nor do you have to be alone. And this, I think, is another reason why community is so important, why we gather today, why we're in small groups during the week, so we can have partners as we seek to partner with God. So, go, learn, serve, tell, team. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example. What it means that you are God who and did not consider your position of power something to be grasped and held on to, but you emptied yourself of that came to the earth as a defenseless, completely human person. I just pray for grace for whatever the next little thing in our life is to follow you into that. 
that we would be able to see it and respond and enjoy the process of finding you in that space. Pray it would not be a burden, but a relief and a joy. Amen. Uh, if you're on the worship team, go ahead and make